there's there's one other way that we can we can show our dads that we love them, and somebody already said that. What is the other way? Whiskers, you know another way to show our dads that we love them? Yeah, good idea. Um, what is it? Well, there's a verse in the Bible that says something. Um, do you know what that verse is? No, I forgot that verse. Um, well, I happen to have a verse that they could share with you that's from the Bible, kids, and there's one in Ephesians 6 1. And it says, Do you know what that verse says? Yeah. Okay, how about you, our little Mrs. Uh, Graham, is that right? Yeah. Oh, why don't you stand up and say Ephesians 6 1? is by obeying your daddies and your mommies. Okay, should we say that verse one more time? Let's see if let's see if Whiskers knows it now. Whiskers, you know that verse now? Yeah, I think so. Okay, um, we'll try here. Ephesians six one.
let's see. We're going to look at a few things here just this morning. Again, we've got just a, a handful of verses that we're going to try to look at to try to apply to our lives here. Um, we're going to start with this verse right here. Some of you might have heard this verse before, but... Uh, I'm going to share it, and this is for one. This is for anyone. You don't have to be a dad to be qualified to apply this verse, to think about this verse. And it's it's one that Paul wrote to the church, to the brothers and sisters in Corinth. Um, and we'll just read it together here. It just says, um, "I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers." For in Jesus Christ I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. And we're just going to look at this verse real quick here. But um, Paul, Paul was not a father, but throughout the, the New Testament he speaks to many people as his son. He writes to Titus, his son in the faith, to Timothy, his son in the faith, to Philemon, is written to Onesi, about Onesimus, who became his son in the faith. Here he writes to Corinth, and he says, hey, I'm your father in the faith. And um, you just kind of see throughout the New Testament, this single man without kids writes to many, considers many his beloved children. And I think there's something for us all to catch there. There's a heart that Paul expresses that I think each one of us could do more in, could grow in. You know, Paul's saying in Corinth at the time, they had a bunch of people that were, you know, telling others about Christ. They wanted people to take their two cents. He calls them tutors. Another place they're called guardians. But basically there are a bunch of people in the church there that would love to give you their two cents about the Christian life. And Paul said, hey, there's a lot of people who would give you their two cents, but you don't have many people who are like a father to you. And I wish that you had more. Imitate me in this, he goes on to say. And, and there was just a heart that, you know, um, one of the, the differences, I think, between a father and a tutor, you know, a tutor in most cases, the whole relationship exists because you're paying someone to teach you something. And, uh, and that's, that's how it works with a tutor. In a lot of cases, even in Corinth, there were some people that were taking money from others because they gave them their two cents about the Christian life, and they would even receive money from others because of that. But Paul said, hey, look, you got a bunch of these type of people, but you don't have many fathers. I became your father through the gospel, and now imitate me. And so I just, I just want us all to be thinking about the heart of a father. Really, he says to the whole church, you know, when's the last time you said this to your household, the people around you? My beloved children, my beloved children, I've, I've got something for you here. My beloved children. That, that's the heart of a father. You know, a tutor, they get paid to do their thing. If it turns out well for you, I mean, you know, that's, that's probably in their interest. But if it doesn't, they probably still get paid. If they don't get paid, they probably aren't going to tutor you. But you know, a father is kind of the opposite thing. Um, instead of you paying a father, most of you have had fathers that have paid for you and expended their life and their money and things to help you and your well-being. And that's one of the things I wrote about why we could all grow why we need more fathers in this world is that a father has a sense of responsibility for your well-being, for your growth, for the outcome of your life as a son and a daughter. And and we all could probably grow in, in having that same heart. That we have people that we don't just care, you know, oh well, I tutored you, I hope it turns out well. But we have people that we care how their life is going. We care what's, what's the outcome going to be of this person's life. You know, a tutor could move on and say, you know, another city's paying better now, I'm just going to move on. But a father, you can't just go, you know, 
been fun, family. I found a job somewhere else. I'll catch you later. A father has a vested interest in the success of your life. A good father. And the father that, like Paul was here. So we just, I think we could all grow in this, this heart here. Um, father versus tutoring. You know, I think in many ways we've been equipped with the ability to share the gospel. Paul says, I became your parents through the gospel. Um, you know, that's where it starts. If you're sharing the gospel with someone, they come to Christ. You tend to get a sense of ownership for how they turn out after that. If you're just sharing the gospel willy-nilly and you, you hope it goes well, well, that's probably better to share the gospel than not. But to catch this heart of, hey, I'm watching out for you. I have an interest in how you turn out. Later on, Paul writes at different places that a father has a heart to encourage, to comfort, and to urge to the high calling um, that we have. And... And that's something that we could all grow on. You know, and I think we can ask for more sons and daughters in the faith. You might not be married. You might not, uh, you know, you might think, well, how can I be a father if I'm a girl? But there's ways you can have sons and daughters in the faith. I know a dear couple in this, our association of churches that they found out along the way after they got married that they could not have children. And, um, you know, they decided that what they were going to have was a, a ton of spiritual children men and women who they would lead to Christ and help them grow and teach them to do that with others, lead others to Christ and take ownership of helping their lives. And, you know, to this day, um, they've had many, many sons and daughters in the faith and they've never had a single biological child, though. And and I just think that's a, a great example to us. We can ask for sons and daughters in the faith. Have that heart of a father to take ownership. Uh, have a sense of responsibility for the well-being, the growth, the outcome of someone's life. I encourage each one of you to find someone who who might look to you like many look to Paul as, as their father in the faith here. So anyways, that's something to think about for everyone. Um, now we're going to hone in just for a little bit here on some of you... Father, fathers like dad fathers here. Um, you know, especially a number of you dads of, of young children here and stuff like that. We're just going to look at a few verses here um, on this. Really, just a couple from this passage here. But this verse says, uh, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's the one that was preceded by children. Obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. It quotes from the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother. Um, But it goes on to say, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so one of the things I want to make sure we're engaged with here at the firehouse is that, um, and, and all of us, we are all called to honor our fathers. If you have a dad out there that was a part of your life, uh, whether they did good or not, God could have easily said, hey, by the way, if you had a dad that did a halfway decent, decent job, honor them. He said, no, you're to honor your father. And there's some dads that really didn't do a halfway decent job. There's some dads that weren't engaged. There were some dads that were pretty good. But God says, Honor your father, honor your mother, not because of how they did it, but really I think that something in fatherhood represents God the Father. There's some honor that's been built into the role of a father that reflects our heavenly father. That responsibility, that role is to be honored. Whether they did good or not, that role has been honored. And so, um, dads, the reality is... People, uh, your, your kids are called to honor you whether you're doing good or not. You are to receive honor. The real question becomes, are you to, caring about your responsibility with honor? Are you honorable? You are supposed to receive honor. 
Is there any inconsistency with the honor that you are to receive and the honor that you are living out? You know, and we want to make sure that that's not the case. But really the point I want to make sure here is, Dad, you have been given a great responsibility. Do you know that? You've been given a great responsibility. This verse specifically says, Fathers. Fathers. It could have said fathers and mothers. It's accurate to say parents, but it's even more accurate to say fathers. Here's something that you are responsible for. The training and the instruction of your children. Fathers. And I just want to make sure we've been given a great responsibility, but dads, are you engaged with your great responsibility? I fear at some point when we come before God to account for what He's given us in our lives, um, at some point He's going he's to look at you, dads. He's going to look at me. He's going to look at you eye to eye and He's going to say, how did you do with this responsibility I gave you? And you know what a temptation is going to be, dads? The temptation is going to be to go, uh, well... Why don't you ask my wife? She spent a lot more time with the kids. She was with them day in and day out. And I think God's going to say, Yeah, but Dad, I gave you this great responsibility. And your wife is a great helper in carrying this out. And there's some responsibilities there as well. But I said, Dad, this is your responsibility. And and I fear many dads will say, Yeah, but but I wasn't around. And I think God's going to say, But I told you that you should raise them this way. And I just want to make sure that we are men here, that we are dads here that are engaged with our great responsibility, that we don't show up before the Lord and say, yeah, well, well, she, she, you know, she could have done more, I guess. No, Dad, you and I could do more, and we need to make sure we're engaged with that. I think one of the analogies I was thinking of related to this is just um, the idea of poker. You know, how many of you played poker or Texas Hold'em? You know, you got to know when to fold them, know when to walk away, when to run. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a fun game. There's times, uh, some of you are better than others at poker here, but there's a time I've always wanted to do it, but I've never done it when the stakes are high and there's this pile of money there. At some point you go, I'm all in. You know, and at which point I know if I did that, I'd lose everything. But um, but there's some thrill and excitement about being at the table, being in the game and going, I'm all in. And really, dads, do you have that heart with your kids? You know, do you have that heart? There's never a good time to fold on your responsibility or on any one of your children. There's never a time to fold. But we all need to have the heart. I hope as firehouse fathers that we would have that heart of, I'm all in. With my family, with my kids, I'm all in. I've left nothing behind. And I just want to make sure we catch that heart. And same with you if you're trying to help people along. You've shared the gospel with people. Maybe they, you know, you don't feel like they're responding well. Do you have the heart of Paul? Paul really had a lot of people that he said, you know, I'm all in. I'm there to help you, encourage you, to pick you up, to correct you. Do you have people, men and women in your lives that you've shared the gospel, you've tried to disciple, but you've folded on them? Because that's not the heart of a father that God wants. Whether they're your biological children, adopted children in the Lord, we can't be men and women who fold on them. And, you know, you might seek counsel from people in your life, advice on, you know, should I pursue this? Or, or you know, there's a time in the prodigal son story where the father stayed at home and his, his son left. But he kept looking out for him with a heart of compassion. Eventually his son came back. But sometimes I think we fold a little easier than someone who's left and gone to a foreign land and they've cut ties altogether. I think it's easy to fold sooner than that. We don't want to be men and women like that here at the firehouse. So are you all in? Let's have that attitude. Um, The next one we're going to look at here is 
uh, focus in on, you know, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're going to talk about training and instruction. Here's a question I have for you dads. God's going to ask you, how's this going? You're going to, you have a helpmate. She's supposed to be helping you in these things. The two have become one. Um, but dads, this is uh, something God has for you. How's the training going? You know, some of you might know what these words mean. There's training and instruction in the Lord. The instruction is kind of the verbal part of helping a kid grow. There's the speaking into their life, the the teaching. That's what it means. But the training, you know, other translations render that discipline. How's the discipline going? Other places it's rendered chastening. How's the chastening going with your kids, Dad? Chastening, you know what I mean? Discipline, you know... Rod of discipline is what we're talking about here, folks. We're talking about spanking and training. Especially in the age that the kids are in our church, we, we all have kids that are, uh, you know, that why we do Sunday school seven years old and under is because they only go up to seven years old and under. We have young kids here. And dads, how's it going? How's the training? I've been told by other churches, John Meyer and some that have churches that have grown, that a lot of times, the, you know, one of them, their kids were the oldest until they just got to teenagers and beyond that. And then you covered every spectrum in the church because because you could, you know. But uh, other times, there's there was age limits on it based on where people were in life. But I want to ask you, dads, you know, and moms, but how's the training going? Um, and here's a few things to think about when it comes to training. What I've found is that training and instruction. Instruction is the verbal. Training is the, you know, it's the spanking. It's the discipline we're talking about here. Um, what, I, what I've found sometimes is that I can... Uh, I can have instruction and correction. You know, correction is like when they're doing something wrong, I say, stop. Hey, stop doing that. That's wrong. Or I can be, um, you know, stop them from doing something wrong. I can warn them. If you do that again, that thing that you just did wrong, if you do that again, oh, you're going to get a spanking, you know. And it's kind of like correcting and correcting. It's like verbal and verbal. But somewhere in there, there's supposed to be a training, training them uh, to do right. Correcting is when they've done something wrong, but training is when you do something wrong and you learn how to do something right. And and we've got to be training. You know, we've got to be using the rod of discipline. And um, you know, another thing to think about is uh, uh, let's see here, training. What do I get here? Uh, there's something we can bump into as parents, and I've seen this happening. Is that what we've been taught, what some of us have been taught from God's Word, I remember Rick Whitney teaching this. One of his big themes, if you ever listen to him on parenting, is that you can win with each one. You can train each one in your family. And, and he had seven, and he had a lot of different shapes, sizes, personalities, all different things, but his point was, God says to train them all. You know, this, this could say... Bring them up in the training. It could say, bring those ones up that respond a little better in the training of the Lord. The other ones, sorry, you got a black sheep, you know. Um, but it doesn't say that. But I think sometimes, parents, we can be tempted with a couple of lies that are out there. A couple of them I want to make sure you're not falling for is, uh, you know, and I've heard these in different circles and stuff. I had a conversation with a guy from another church recently, but... You know, the idea is, oh, I can train my girls. My girls I can train, but boys, they're just not the same creatures. They're harder to train. You just, you can't apply these same things to boys and girls. And I was talking to a guy recently, and he was telling me, yeah, well, my girl, she just did all these things. She responded to all the training. And I was asking him, well, what about your boy? He's like, well, my boy, it just doesn't work for him. And then I said, well, you do know that all the Proverbs that talk about training and discipline, they were all written for boys, Right? 
it says my sons, my sons. We apply them to girls. They were all initially written to boys. And, and I was like, so I think you're going to have to, you know, what do you do when they're two years old and you just say, I just can't train my boy? Well, that's early on to be folding, you know. And I, and I just think we need to make sure you can't, we can't buy into, I can train boy girls, I can't train boys, or I can train boys and girls, but I just can't train this one, this one. You know, it's like somehow we bought into the lie that you have to have a black sheep in your family. It just happens. And a lot of people believe that. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And don't buy into that. Don't, don't buy into that for a moment. We can train them all. We must train them all. Um, the other thing we need to realize is it's going to be a lot of work. You know, if you haven't figured it out yet, parents, I think most of your parents might know, but it's a lot of hard work. I remember Bill Young talking, uh, uh, maybe even two years ago, he was talking about sometimes for dinner time, when they showed up at meals, he, you know, he said another word for dinner time for them was training time. That some of the kids that had uh, diapers and onesies, you know, you have to, any of you know what a onesie is? It's like the one-piece wrestling sort of outfit there, but it's got, it's got snaps and buttons on the bottom of it. He said some of his kids, when they were at the table, they didn't button the onesie. Why? Because they knew this meal time was going to be a training time. They knew you button it, you got to unbutton it. It's a whole process. It's a lot of hard work. And they just show up at the table unbuttoned because he knew it was going to be a lot of hard work. But parents, I, I want to ask you, is it a lot of hard work and are you trying to find another way around it you know one easy thing to do is well you know it's such hard work I just I just can't do that you know um, I can't show up at things I can't do certain things because I'm engaged with kids at young age you know and Bill Young Rick Whitney all these guys are saying hey look you show up at the prayer meetings. You know, some of the times they had stories back in the day, you had a baby in one arm and a Bible in the other, and they were, they were preaching and they were doing it. It wasn't like, hey, I've got kids, and either it's going to be really hard and I you know, do the basic functions of the church, or I just focus on kids, I check out for a while, and eventually I show back up. They said, it's going to be hard. It's going to take a lot of work. And are you training them? How's the training going? Either you're training and it's hard work, or you back out of things and, you know, it's going to be a little easier, more tolerable. But, you know, something's got to give in that situation. And I just, I just want to encourage you. We've been taught, you know, with God's help, you can do it. With God's help, you can win with each one of the children you've been given. With God's help, by God's grace, you can do it. By God's command, you should do it, and we just need to make sure we're we're engaged with that. You know, I know in our family we we've just um, we had Judah here, and he's now approaching 18 months, and so he was kind of like a couple years, two and a half years behind some of the other kids, and we felt like we engaged, we did our training and things like that. Judah shows up, he's cute and chubby, and I feel like he's gotten away with a lot more than our other kids did for the age, and we've realized recently that it's time engage with this guy. How's the training going? Well, it's going it's going a little more today than it was yesterday, I'll tell you. And we've uh, coming back from this pastor's conference, we just kind of talked through each of our kids and said what what do we need to be training on? There's correcting when they're doing wrong, but there's training them to do right. And what are those things we need to be engaged in training? And I encourage each one of your parents, you know, how how's the training going? It's going to be a lot of work. God wants you to win with each one, with boys, with girls, with the black sheep. That's what God wants you to do, and um, I believe we can do it. I've been taught that. I've seen that, how it plays out. And um, You know, along the way, you know, there's a verse that says, uh, Train them up in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. 
when they're younger, we're training them, you know, the rights and wrongs and spankings, but also along the way, you've got to train them in the way they should go. In a lot of ways, I see that as the mission. We've got to make sure we're training them in the mission. Are they catching a heart for others? You know, a lot of people can focus on family or marriage. There's a lot of non-Christians that do that, and there's a lot of Christians that do. But you've got to have something beyond your family. You've got to have something beyond your marriage. You've got to have something beyond your own life if you're single. And, and there's a mission there. And I remember a story Steve Nelson told at Faith Walkers about, you know, catching the mission, training them in the way they should go. And they had moved down to El Paso. Many of you know to start a church down there. And they kind of transplanted their kids, you know. They, they had a few kids to transplant at that time was seven or eight, I don't know. Transplant a few kids, had them down there. It's a good head start on the church plant and the children's ministry. And you got seven or eight kids there. But uh, they got there and they're just going through the business of being there, setting up shops, you know, going on with life. And at one point, one of the Nelson kids asked Steve, he said, Dad, didn't we come to El Paso to share Jesus with people? And Steve's like, yeah, you know. And, um, and then his son said, so when are we going to start doing that, Dad? And Steve Nelson, who's like this parenting guru in my eyes, was just kind of like, well, evidently what I feel like is sharing Jesus is really not catching on as sharing Jesus. You know, we've defined it differently. So they started getting out a little more. They're taking their kids to malls to share the gospel and things like that. But, um, man, we just had to be careful. When our kids get older and they start asking, Dad, when are we going to start sharing Jesus with someone? We need to make sure we're, we're training them right now and they're little and, you know, disciplining them and training them on the mission. And when they get old, you know, I think that's one of the ways you can tell someone's turned out. Uh, in this movement of churches, when you look at the parents that were engaged and you go, when they get out of their parents' house, when they get to college, what do they do? Do they take on the mission for themselves or do they get distracted with something else? And we have the heritage of godly men and women who have kids that have taken ownership of their parents' vision and they carry it out even when they get out on their own in the crazy world of college. And that's what we want to be raising, I know, as well. So um, anyways, how's the training going? Um, Last part of this verse we're going to look at is just, um, you know, one of the ways you can tell how the training is going is by asking this one question. Do they obey you? Dad, does your kid obey you? Mom, does your kid obey you? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You know, sometimes this world can give us a lot of other measurements to go by. Hey, how fast did your kid learn to walk? How fast did they talk? Are they chunky? Or are they skinny? Are they, uh, you know, they, how's their mathematics going? How, are they articulating well yet? You know what? One of the greatest handles, the greatest measurements, men, you're going to have on your, how your training's going? Do your kids obey you? Do they obey your wife? You know, there's other areas you engage with. Do they obey the babysitters? Do they obey the Sunday school teachers? But really, the biggest question to ask, the biggest litmus test is, do they obey you? And, um, you know, we need to make sure that that's going on. And there's two ways we can go about this. You know, the verse says, do not exasperate your children. And Rick Whitney's taught on this. And he said, hey, there's two ways to exasperate your kids. One is you have the bar just way too high. They can just never achieve. There's this frustration because they can never achieve how high your bar is, parents. The other way he said you can exasperate is your bar is so low, it communicates, basically it communicates to them, you don't care. 
And that can be a kid finds out, my parent doesn't care if I do right or wrong or how I'm going to turn out here. And there's an exasperation that can occur there as well. And I just want to ask, when you're looking to obey, you know, someone could say, my kid obeys all the time. They have never done something I've asked them not to do. And, you know, you might ask, well, what's your secret? I just haven't asked them to do anything they didn't want to do. It's working out so good. You know, sometimes we can drop the bar so low, parents, that we're like, they're obeying me. I don't mind if they actually jump off the cliff and fall down on the concrete below. That'd be okay. They learned the lesson the hard way. You need to make sure you're setting the bar because when, especially when your kids are young, Obeying your parents is not learning the Ten Commandments. It's not memorizing the, the Pentateuch from the Old Testament. Obeying your parents is what you tell them is right or wrong. That's, that's what's right or wrong to them until they figure it out. And you've got to make sure you're drawing some lines. If they have no boundaries, you might think they're obeying pretty good. You start putting a boundary that they might not be happy about, you find out how obedience is going. And we just want to make sure. The other thing we have to watch out for is, um, you know, another, I, I think a... A little bit of a lie that this culture can try to feed us is that it's basically the, there's a folly, and I would call it the folly that kids will be kids. Beware of the folly of kids will be kids. Kids will just be kids, you know. They're, you leave them to themselves, they're just going to be foolish and selfish and do bad, wrong things. You know, that's the way kids are. Well, duh. And that's why God gave them parents. You know, so that they can help change that. That is the way they start off. You know, Proverbs 22, there's a, a couple good ones here, but this one says, Proverbs 22:15 says, Folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Folly is bound up in the heart of your child. This world says kids will be kids. Yeah, the Bible agrees with that. Kids will be full of foolishness. It's bound in their hearts. How does it get unbound from their hearts, folks? Dad? Mom, it's got to be driven out of their hearts from the rod of discipline. I want to ask, when it comes to obeying, are you driving out folly from your kids' hearts? When it comes to obeying my mom and dad, are you engaging with the folly that's going on? Are you going, oh, kids will be kids, boys will be boys? Yeah, you know what the problem is. Kids will be kids, boys will be boys. There's a whole generation of people who are not engaging with the folly of their children. You know what that means? You know what that makes? That makes people who have adult-sized bodies who is still bound with the folly of selfishness and foolishness and irresponsibility and laziness. And unless you parents are engaging with the folly of your children, it is bound in their heart. And who, who else in this world do you think should be responsible for getting it out if it's not you? And when we've got to be engaging. We've got to help free them from the folly that comes naturally. Kids will be kids until you train them out of it. You know, and I, I just think about them, this world we're living in. It's becoming more and more common. I think other countries have already been there where they have, especially men who are living with their parents for years and years and years. You know, it's the, not only teenagers, but then they're 20-somethings. And I think there's, you know, it's probably going to just keep towing the line. And, and I think one of the reasons that why, why are young men and maybe women, but I think especially men, why are they staying at home longer and longer and longer? Why do you think that is? You know, it's not the economic hard times because they were doing that before the stock market dropped here. Um, you know, why? my observation, I feel like, you know, and maybe it's from the Lord, maybe it's not. My observation of why young men are staying at home longer and longer is because they can. 
There used to be a day and age when I was a kid, when I was growing up, you know, the TV programs, the movies, they always had this scene, you know, if it was any sort of relational family thing, they always had a moment where there was this tension between a father and his children or a mom and the children and they would draw the line and they'd say, as long as you're in this house, sorry, I'm sitting here, it's a good thing you're backed up. Yeah, there's a road back, that's, that's why it happens like that. But you know, they'll say something like, as long as you're living in this house, you will live by these rules. And, you know, the kids would be all huffy and puffy. Okay, you're right. But when I turn 18, I'm moving out. I'm getting a job. I'm getting on my own. And they did. But what's the problem? You know, back then, I think the parents had a little more of a backbone. You could tell your kid, hey, if you're here, you're doing it my way or hit the highway. Sometimes kids would hit the highway. Sometimes they'd go, I don't like the highway. I'm coming home. But you know what I think's happening more and more these days is parents are saying, you know what? You can live in my house, and you can live here for free, and let me, let me buy some cable TV for you. Let me make sure you have a cell phone. Come home whenever you, you can live any way you want, and you can do it under my roof. And you know what's happening? Well, they're doing that. You know, why do they stay at home longer and longer? Because they can. You know, another way to ask the question is, is why aren't they out getting a job, uh, getting married, taking the responsibility of a marriage, taking responsibility for a family, sticking with a job? I think because a lot of kids have grown up with adult-sized bodies and they can't. They can't keep a job. They've never been trained how to do that. They can't take responsibility for a wife, so they just sleep with a girlfriend. It's less responsibility. You don't even need a job for that. They can't start a family. They can't afford to. And we just need to watch out, men and women. That is the culture we live in. But my hope is that we would raise children that are different. That they wouldn't be living with us while we pay their cell phone bills and their cable bills and whatnot until, I don't know, until the, I don't know what happens. You die and they take over your house after that or something. But um, that's the culture we're living in. But let it not be that case with the firehouse church. I know that's not the... the heritage we have in this movement of churches here. So we just need to make sure, are they obeying you? And, you know, we also need to ask the question, are you obeying your father? Your kids are supposed to obey you. Sometimes I find a little bit of a a challenge in that I really want my kids to obey. I want them to obey me consistently. But I think God's looking at me sometimes and going, well, what if they obey you as consistently as you discipline them? obey you on occasion. They obey you when it's convenient. Just like you can discipline when it's easy, when it's convenient. You want them to have consistent obedience. Is that different than you're consistent obeying God and training them? Um, and, you know, we also need to just ask ourselves whether you're a parent or not. You know your father is engaged with your life. He's training you. Are you obeying him? Your Heavenly Father, they use that word chastening in Ephesians 12 here. Your Heavenly Father is chastening you. You know, as adults, chastening changes from spankings to, you know, spanking with larger objects or something. I don't know. No, it changes. You know, God has a way of spanking you and I to get our attention in serious ways. The question is, after you get spanked, do you do what's right? Or does He got to spank you again because you didn't learn it? And spank you again, just like a kid. And spank you again until you finally get it. Men and women, your father is engaging with the character of your lives. The question is, are you being trained by it? 
Are you obeying your father in the areas that he wants you to? And, and I think so many times as adults we can get disciplined and we can be just like a kid. He's like, I don't get it yet. I don't get it yet. I don't get it yet. Okay, finally, I think I get it, you know. And we just need to look through your life and see if there's an area that God's disciplining you, chastening you, because He wants you to obey. He wants you to do what's right when you might tend towards what's wrong in some area of your life there. And are we obeying our Heavenly Father? The last thing we're going to close with here is just um, this verse. Um, this is a verse that I was talking with a guy at... Um, uh, at this conference we just got back from one of the encouraging things there is not only the teachings and just to, to hear good solid Bible teaching there's also an opportunity to meet people from other churches that are a lot like us whether uh, you know it's a small church or a church plant or a young family and you can just kind of compare notes hey how's it going wow you're trying to do that yeah that's hard isn't it yeah well it's hard in Minneapolis too and you know there's just this encouragement that can come and I was talking to this uh, dad you know of a young family as well and he was telling me about this verse that they taught on it recently in a small group and and there's some things that really stuck to me here that I just wanted to share Malachi 4, 6 you know it's one of the last verses before um before the New Testament begins, there was a several hundred year gap from hearing from God until John the Baptist and Jesus hit the scene and stuff like that. But it says this, and it's relating to John the Baptist when he comes and arrives and hits the scene in the spirit of Elijah. He says, He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And there's a two-way sort of thing that's being talked about there. He says it's like a two-way connection. There's fathers should have their children's hearts. The children should give you their heart. And vice versa, you should give your heart to your children. There's, there's this two-way bond that God's created there. And it says, hey, John the Baptist is going to come and he's going to try to restore God's original design for the family. That you have their heart and they have yours. And those are some questions I came away with were, were this. And dads, do you have the heart of your children? Do you have your children's heart? And, you know, the reality is when you have young kids, you kind of have their hearts. You just kind of get their heart because that's the way God wires them. They look at you and they look at your wife and they go, that's mom and dad, I love them, I'm with them, I, I kind of even look like them. Uh, you know, I should love them. And so um, you get it easily. You know, a secret, most of you dads probably already know, one way to get your kids' hearts is... You know, find out if you have their hearts or not or, or reconnect with their heart is all you got to do, lay down on your living room floor when any kids are around. And the next thing you know, there's going to be a dog pile on top of you. Kids are going to be laughing and smiling. Even our little 17-month-old, you know, I'm laying down on the floor. And wherever he is, he just has this sense, Dad's laying down, I should go get him. And I just do this dog pile, and it's just this fun, you know. And if my kids, if I haven't seen them or there's been a distance, you know, I've been busy, all I have to do is chase them in the backyard for five minutes and they'll eat out of my my hands after that and or they'll give me food while I'm laying down and you know when they're, when they're younger dads you really you, you have their hearts but you just got to make sure do you have their hearts you even thought about that lately do you have their hearts because when they get older you know what I hear we only got a 7 year old going on 8 here but um but as they get older, kids have more and more things that vie for their hearts. More and more distractions from this world. Relationships that they start to take an interest in. Uh, distractions from the things of this world. And all of a sudden, Dad, it's going to get harder and harder to keep your kids' hearts. And we got a, we got a time right now, a sweet spot, where they should give them to you pretty naturally. Just lay down on the living room floor and see what happens. But, um, but the other question we've got to ask, Dad, is... 
is do they have your heart? Your kids are wandering around the house trying to give their heart to you, trying to give their heart to you. But dads, are they bumping into someone who's like, you know, I, what I got to finish at work? I got to finish. Uh, I got to get on the road here soon. I got to, um, you know, I got to get out in the yard and do these projects. And uh, dads, do your kids have your heart? You probably got their heart, is my guess. But do they have your heart, or is there something else that is getting your heart or keeping you? Maybe you're there in body, but they don't have your heart. Kids know when you're locked in, when you're engaged, when they have your heart, and, and they know when you're not, dads. And it doesn't just have to be by being around. They can tell, they start asking you questions, eventually they stop asking questions. They just wander off and do something else. But God's design is that you should have your kids' hearts and your kids should have your hearts, dad. And how's that going, you know? We need to make sure we've got it. And I'm going to close just with the truth that's related to that, really in our relationship with God here, but... One thing we have to realize, men and women, is, is that you've got your father's heart. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know, you know, some have had good dad experiences and bad dad experiences, absent dad experiences, all sorts of things. But you know what you got to know? I want you to know you this day have your father's heart. He is thinking about you right now. He's thinking about your well-being. He's thinking about your growth. He's thinking about the fruit of your life. You have your Father's heart. You know, there's so many different ways He, he proves this. You know, I think of different verses I work with my kids on. Matthew seven eleven says, talking about a dad that's doing a decent job, it says, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? All you got to do is ask your father and he'll have a good gift for you like that. You know another verse that communicates how you have your father's heart? John 3.16 For God, your father, so loved the world, so loved you and I, that he gave his one and only son. He gave his most precious possession. He gave his heart to you and I so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You have your father's heart. In some ways, the blood of Jesus was the blood of your Father's heart. I think of another verse about how, we, how much we have our Father's heart. Romans 8, um, 8.32, I believe it is. And I'm just going to read that for you as well. You just need to know, we've got to know, you have your Father's heart. It says this, um, 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Men and women, your Father's heart is just at the door, ready to give you whatever you need to live a godly life, whatever you need for growth, whatever you need to be a good dad, mom, be a spiritual father or mother. You have your Father's heart. And obviously that begs, that begs the next question. Does your Father have your heart? Does your Father have your heart? Or does something else have your heart? You know, most of us can say, I love God, the Heavenly Father. Does He have your heart? Or is your heart divided into a trillion different things? And sure, God's got a couple of those pieces of the pie. But your hobbies have other pieces of the pie. Your work, your money, your fame, your ego... Does your Father have all your heart? You've got all His heart that you're ever going to get. Does He have your heart? Think of one of our memory verses of 1 John 2, 15-17. through 17. It just talks about, you know, the love of the Father is not in you if your heart's given to anything in this world. The things that you have, the things that you do, just wanting to get your own way. It says, the love of the Father is not in you if you're loving this world. 
and men and women. We, I think God wants us to give Him more of our heart today and every day. You have His heart. And I want you to know, men and women, you have your Father's heart. Anything you need, He is there for you right now to give it to you. But does He have your heart? It's designed to be a two-way connection of your heart bonded with His heart in a loving relationship. And we need to remember that as we go forward here on Father's Day. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank You so much for this day. God, I just pray You'd help each one of us to grow in understanding how much You love us how you're thinking about us right now, how you're longing to get your good and your grace and all that you have involved in our lives if we would only let you, if we would only look to you, if we would only share our affections with you, ask for your help. God, I just pray you'd make us men and women whose relationship is restored today. Lord, you've restored it for eternity, but do we have that with you today, my Lord? Um, Help us. Help us give you our hearts. Thank you that we have your hearts. Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to honor our dads today, our earthly dads, but help us to just live a life of worship to you, Heavenly Father. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great Father's Day. Make sure you, you say hi to your dads if you can. Give them a gift. But um, let's look for ways to make sure our Heavenly Father has our heart this week. So, Anyways, we'll see you on Wednesday night. Thanks for joining us this morning.